Here we go again. Every Sunday, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning uh, to Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, as we consider uh, the subject of prayer. How many of you would consider yourself a prayer expert? I didn't figure I'd see a lot of hands. A few years ago, Mindy and I were with her side of the family during a holiday, and there was a large meal prepared, and we all gathered around the dinner table, and someone said, well, who is going to pray and bless the food? And then one of the little nephews, his name was James, he said, I think Uncle Charlie should do that. He's the professional. <laughs> and so it's kind of been a running joke in our family. I certainly don't consider myself a professional nor an expert on prayer, but um, I want us to look at some things uh, that Jesus said about prayer. And so I want you to read with me this morning from God's Word in Luke chapter 11. And the text that I want to focus on is starting in the fifth verse through verse 13, but I, I just, uh, just doesn't seem right not to read these first four verses together. And so I invite you to read with me starting at verse 1, and then again, our text will, the real focus will be in verse 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and make a few comments about the first four verses, but again, uh, we'll focus starting on the parable and then the application. So let's read together Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has, is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Of course, most of us know the, probably have memorized the, the longer version from Matthew's gospel, the sixth chapter. Then in verse five teaching them to pray. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, like the disciples, would you teach us to pray? Not just words, but to know you and to hear you and to possess greater certainty that you are who you say you are and that you hear us when we pray. God, would you speak now and bear witness to us through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Who would you say the real expert on prayer is? That's right, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you study the Gospels, you quickly discover that Jesus made it a priority to pray. In Luke 5, verse 16, Luke records Jesus often withdrew himself into the wilderness alone and prayed. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says Jesus went to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. In chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus was alone praying and his disciples joined in with him. Here from our text, Jesus and his disciples are together. Jesus is praying and when he has finished, the disciples ask, would you teach us to pray? The disciples were always asking Jesus questions often to explain things or to secure his thoughts. But there's only one thing recorded in all of Scripture that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them, to show them how to do. It wasn't how to perform miracles, how to heal, how to do any kind of miraculous thing. The only thing they asked him how to do was, would you teach us to pray? Evidently, they had a desire that was growing within them to pray, and, and I think it developed as they listened to Jesus pray. And I would say to you that the best way to learn to pray is to pray yourself and also to be around other people who pray with you. It was common for rabbis in that day to develop a series of prayers and on various subjects, teaching their students to memorize them. And then to recall and to recite those prayers whenever they got themselves or found themselves in a particular station in life. So if they were fearful, they had a prayer for fear. Or if they were anxious, there was a prayer for anxiety. Or if someone had hurt them and wronged them, there was a prayer for that person. Luke records the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. Matthew's translation is a little longer. Would you... Would you would you mind just to recite that with me? Most of you know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Luke records that prayer. Most of us know it. We've been taught it at an early age. And that prayer, these first four verses in Luke's gospel, can be used in two ways. One way is simply what it says in verse 2. Jesus said, when you pray, what? Say this. Say it. There have been some who said that Jesus never intended for this prayer to be recited and just to be spoken. Well, it says, when you pray, say this. So I, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we'd be a lot better off if we recited Scripture more frequently in our lives to begin with. But the other way is it is a pattern. It's an outline to guide us as we pray. And they're really, just want to hit on these very quickly. There's seven things that Jesus kind of provides here in this prayer outline. So I'm just going to go through these very quickly. Number one, first, when you pray, realize it's personal. You're praying personally to God. God, our Father, the word is Abba there. And it was a very personal word that Jews used of their own dads. No Jew would have ever referred to God as Father. He was too holy. But Jesus is teaching them that when you pray, you're praying to God, and it's a personal God. Isn't that amazing that our God is so personal? The Bible teaches that you and I are sons and daughters of God, and when we come to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we enter into that relationship, sons and daughters, we're, we're the family of God. And so when we pray, we talk to God in a personal way. Let me ask you, have you placed, have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that you know that you are, have a right relationship with God because of Christ? If you've never done that, you can do that this morning. In just a few moments, we'll invite you to come and you can pray, confess your sins and invite Christ to come into your life. The second thing that Jesus says is when you pray, not only do you pray to God personally, but you hallow his name. It means you reverence, you, you worship him as you pray. We certainly reverence God's name, don't we? I know that sometimes if you're just watching something on your televisions in your home and you hear things and I hope it still disturbs you. When, when God's name is profaned, when it's not reverenced, it's all. So we reverence the Lord. So it's kind of we begin personally. We begin in, in a mindset of worship as we pray. And then we, he says, third, pray for his kingdom to come. For God's kingdom to come. That means that God pray that your rule, your reign would take control of my mind and of my life. And I pray that your kingdom would spread, that your rule and your reign would spread in the lives of others, certainly in my family. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, we were, to, we were to seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. And then also in Matthew 28, the disciples were to go forth and to extend his kingdom. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, 
Come you who are blessed of my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so we seek God's kingdom and we live to extend his kingdom and we long one day to inherit the kingdom when we're with him in eternity. All of that's pretty relevant. All first of those three aspects to this outline on prayer are vertical. They're all focused on God. None of the first three are about you and I getting anything for ourselves. It's all about giving. God, you're my father and we worship you and pray for your kingdom to come. But then the final four patterns from this outline are all horizontal. They all have to do with ourselves and uh, have to do with relationships with others. Let me just go through this very quickly. Verse three, we pray for daily bread. We pray, God, supply my needs today. Supply the needs of others. Verse four, we're praying and asking God to forgive our sins. God, I need you to forgive me for what I just said. God, I need you to forgive me for what I failed to do. God, I, I need you to forgive me for my thought. Just It's forgiveness. And then he also says in verse four, not only, God, do I pray and ask you to forgive me of my sins, but I ask you also by your grace to help me to forgive others. Forgive me, God, of my sins and help me to forgive others. You know, that's a choice. You know, forgiveness is a choice. It's not, it's not just something you feel. It's a decision. When someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, wounds us deeply, then we make a choice. We make a decision. And we may not feel like it, but we let go. We cancel the debt. That's the choice. God, I'm going to cancel this. I'm going to let this go. And God, by your grace and your time, would you get my heart to catch up with my head? And God, I just commit this wrong to you. You know what? There might be some folks, even in our own church family, that you've got some odd against, and you need to cancel the debt. You need to let it go. I've been doing this a long, long time, and I would be willing to bet in, a, in this church there's some folks here who are upset with some folks over there about something that happened a long, long time ago, and they're carrying the debt. And I want to say this to you, it'll hinder the Spirit of God from working and moving in the life of the church. We need to cancel the debt. We need to let it go. And then finally, he says, God, I pray you'd keep me from temptation. That means, God, protect me from circumstances and situations that will appeal to my flesh and my sinful nature, causing me to yield and to fall into sin. And just remember, the Bible is clear that God does not cause us to sin. You remember James says it very clearly. Let none of us say that when we are tempted, that we are tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. God may test us. He will test us to build our faith, to deepen our dependence upon him. But God does not tempt his children to lead them into sin. And so the prayer begins with God. It focuses on him. And then it's God, protect me, cover me. God, empower me and change my desires. That's the prayer. I pray that you are a prayerful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you feel compelled to pray. That you spend time with God. 
that you're finding more discipline in prayer, perhaps finding another person to pray with you, certainly to pray for your spouse and your kids and your family and your church family and coworkers and extended relatives. There's all kinds of things to pray for. That's the pattern for prayer. Then Jesus, after this pattern, provides this parable. And this is really where I want to focus the rest of our time that we have together. The parable begins with a problem, doesn't it? The problem, a man is unable to provide proper hospitality to a guest. The context is friend A, friend A in the parable has an old friend show up unexpectedly in the middle of the night and there is no bread. Well, that's a problem. (laughs) Culturally, he is unable to show his friend any hospitality. It would have been an embarrassing thing for someone to come and you not to be able to provide for your guest. In that day and time, bread was freshly baked every morning. First thing. And then by nightfall, whatever was baked, probably most of it has been consumed. It's gone. The, The bread storage is depleted. And so here at midnight, a long lost friend on a journey unexpectedly just shows up and knocks on the door. It's kind of shameful, a little bit embarrassing not to be able to provide this guest, this hospitality, something to eat, something to drink. And so that's the issue. There's a problem. No bread. No shops open. No 24-hour convenient marts to rush off to. This is the story, the parable told by Jesus. Friend A is surprised by an unexpected visit from friend B. So friend A has a problem. He's lacking bread for friend B. Therefore, friend A also goes off in the middle of the night to friend C. And he knocks. That's the problem. And then Jesus describes the response. Look with me in verse 5 and 6 again from your Bibles. And he said, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. That's the problem. And so notice the response. What friend A is asking from friend C is a severe ask. The ask is steep. Friend, see, I need three loaves of bread at midnight. It's a big deal. In the Middle East, in that day, an open door and a closed door had meaning. If a door was open, it meant y'all come on in. They were were probably Southern Jews. Y'all come on in. If the door was closed, it meant do not disturb. A closed door was clear. The door has been open all day and you're welcome to come and go as you will. Now the door is shut, so leave us alone. Houses were usually single room dwellings, nothing large. And in this case, friend C and his family are down for the night. 
the little sleeping mats, the little sleeping pallets have been pulled out across the floor and the wife and all the kids and the cat and the dog are all asleep for the night. No small task to get them all settled and get them all asleep as any mom knows. And the last thing that friend C wanted was somebody knocking on his door at midnight, which is exactly what happens. They're all down for the night. Everyone's sleeping. There may have been some light snoring going on in the room. The door is closed. And then comes the knock. So in the middle of the night, friend C is awakened from his sleep. And he thinks, what is that? And he realizes that Someone is tapping at the door. And he wonders, who is that? What time is it? So he reached over and tapped his cell phone. <laughs> and friend C asks, who's there? And friend A responds, it's me. And friend C says, what are you doing? Do you know what time it is? Go away. And friend A responds, come on, C. I need your help. What do you want? I need three loaves of bread. Are you nuts? We're all asleep. Stop bothering us. Go home. There is no chance that A is leaving. He just, he just keeps knocking. In the parable, Jesus describes the problem. That's the response. And then Jesus explains the persistence. A refuses to go away. Look at verse 8. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Jesus says that friend A is persistent. The King James Version describes A as, and uses the word importunity. The word literally means shameless. Shameless. A bold, shameless persistence a bold, shameless persistence without any embarrassment. Friend A is prepared to stand there all night without any shame, and he's going to keep knocking until he gets what he needs. Jesus says that friend A is persistent, importunity, Importunity without embarrassment. Importunity without shame. Pretty bold. I'm going to stay here as long as it takes until I receive what I came for. I'm going to adopt a whatever it takes attitude until I prevail. And finally, Jesus says... Because of friend A's 
shameless persistence, friends see, not because of he, he's his friend, but friends see finally rises up and notice the Bible says he gives him as much as he needs. What's the parable's lesson? What do you think? You remember the context, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and so he kind of says, you can recite this, pray this, nothing wrong with that as long as it's from the heart. Here's an outline, here's some things you could think about when you pray. He's teaching them to pray. And the lesson here is when you pray, when you pray, don't play around. Stop playing around. It's one of persistence. When you pray before your heavenly father, you come before him in that personal relationship through faith in Christ and you worship him and you praise him and then you begin to pray for yourself and to pray for others, then he says, stay with it. Adopt a whatever it takes attitude in prayer. In other words, there are going to be some things that you go through, that you experience in life. There are going to be some things that weigh heavily on your heart. There's going to be some things that trouble your mind. There's going to be some things in life that disturb you and upset you. You're going to have some needs. There's going to be some burdens that you feel that you bear. It might be that you have a loved one a son or a daughter, a child, a grandchild, a friend, a family member, and their life is a mess. And the enemy is wreaking havoc in their lives, and their sin is like kudzu. I didn't know anything about kudzu until a couple years ago. <laughs> that stuff takes root, and what does it do? It spreads like wildfire, and it chokes out everything in its path. It's like sin. It'll gain a foothold. It'll gain an gain a entry point, a place in your life, and sin will spread like kudzu, and it will choke the spiritual life out of you and control you. Some of you this morning know what it's like to have a heavy burden for someone, for a, for a need, for something that's disturbing, troubling you, and you just, you feel broken, you feel burdened for someone, and it could be a loved one or someone who's addicted to drugs or to alcohol, they're in a bad relationship and they're lost and they're floundering in life, they're floundering in their sin. You go to school with them. You work with them. They're, they're every day. These, these folks are around you, and they may not show it, but on the inside, they're struggling. They're floundering around. The burden might be for someone who is physically in bad shape, or the burden might be someone who has lost hope in life, and they're stuck, and they're stuck, and there doesn't seem to be any answers, any way forward, and so you have a burden, and you begin to pray, knocking, crying out to God. The Bible says, day and night, oh, Lord. Please save them, intervene, draw them, convict them, call them. 
in their brokenness, lead them to you. And you begin to pray in victory, Lord God, I thank you that you're working. I know you're working. And you begin to intercede in faith. And maybe you employ other people to pray with you about that need. And so two or three gather in his name and pray. And after starting out with great fervency in prayer, faithfulness after a long time and not seeing any results, what happens? The knocking begins to fade. We begin to tire and faint and lose heart and give up, and so we stop praying. And in our prayerlessness, we begin to just accept we just accept that this is the way it's going to be when we know it's not God's will. 1 John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have with God in prayer, that if we ask anything according to his word, to his will, then we can be sure that we're on the right track when we're praying. Jesus is providing this lesson for all of us as his followers on importunity, on shameless persistence in prayer, never giving up. I hadn't planned to share this. I just thought of this. I remember as a little boy, my dad never went to church. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, and he smoked cigarettes. And I remember growing up in that home, and my mom and dad were always arguing about him smoking cigarettes. And he never went to church. And so when my mom would gather my sister and me and my brother together and we would pray, I, rem I, rem just, rem I just remember praying this all my life, that asking God to help my dad to quit smoking cigarettes and that my dad would go to church. I don't know when he quit smoking cigarettes. He did quit. And I, you know the story. I've told you the story that after he and my mother divorced and he remarried and moved to South Carolina. He was sitting in a little restaurant and there was a guy in there that befriended my dad and started talking to him, come to find out he was a pastor. First Baptist Church, Clover, South Carolina. Got my dad's name a week later, went to the house and visited him and prayed with my dad and my dad started attending church. And I don't know how many years that was, maybe 40 years praying for my dad and God helped him to quit smoking cigarettes and got him in church. And I prayed for that for a long, long time. Is Jesus trying to say to us that God is lazy, that our God is sluggish, he gets tired and he's unwilling to answer that we have to press and press God and bother God and, and exasperate God before he'll ever intervene. Is that what Jesus is trying to teach us in the parable? Or is it the exact opposite? What does he say in verse 9 and 10? So I say to you, ask It'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it'll be opened. It's the exact opposite. 
of what someone might wrongly conclude from the parable. Jesus is saying to the 12, here's my promise. Here's the promise. Ask, seek, and knock. All verbs in the present tense, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's continuous. That's what Jesus is saying. And the principle is, I'm not playing around. God, I recognize who you are, and I recognize who I am, and I, I know who I am. I'm a sinner saved by your grace. I am weak. I am powerless. Haven't you come to realize that in your life? The older you get, you realize how little power you really have and how much that you really aren't able to fix everything and you really can't fix people and change them and you just, God, I know who I am. But you, you have all power. God, you have all knowledge. You have all awareness. God, you have all sufficiency. You have all wisdom. You have all understanding, God. You're in control. Your timing is perfect. You are sovereign. God, you are at work, working in all things and through all things for our good and for your glory. So God, in prayer... I'm asking, God, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. I'm going to pray according to your word. I'm going to pray according to your will. I'm going to pray like everything depends on me, but I know that everything really depends on you. Believing the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman avails much. I'm going to continue to prevail in prayer like Jacob, wrestling all night if necessary, refusing to let you go until you bless this situation. That's what Jesus is teaching. And I don't have all the answers to why God intervenes at the times and the ways that he does, but I know this parable is trying to make us understand that we are to be persistent in prayer and to have confidence in God and his word. Jesus says, as you pray, keep on asking. As you pray, keep on seeking. As you pray, keep on knocking. And answers will come and the lost will be found and the doors will fly open. It might be that God will answer exactly as you ask. It happens all the time. Even, I believe, God answers when we don't even ask. Testimony to his grace and his goodness. It may be that God will do more than you ask because he's exceedingly, abundantly able to do above and beyond what we can ask or even think to ask. It may be that God is, as we're praying and as we're waiting, it may be that God is protecting us, preventing us from getting what we want. You say, well, why would God be preventing me from getting what I want? It's because he knows that what we want may not be what we really need and what's best for us. 
And he also knows that what we're praying for someone else may not be what they really need at the time we think they need it. And it may be that his timing is different than ours. It may be that God is teaching us as we pray obedience. What about the times that our prayers have been substitutes for obedience? Say, what are you talking about? What do you mean times when our prayers are substitutes for obedience? I could give you all kinds of examples of that. I I heard this one one time and it stays out. Oh Lord, should I leave my wife and run off with this woman that I've gotten myself involved with? (laughs) That is a prayer being substituted for obedience. In that case, we need to, the guy needs to stop praying and just start obeying God. Our God is a personal God. He knows us. He knows our needs. He cares. He's good. He knows what is best. He knows when is the best times. And he's working in ways that we don't see and we don't understand. How many of you could just whisper a testimony? God, I know. I know that you're working in ways that I don't see and I don't understand. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray to a personal, caring, good God. He's teaching them to be persistent as they pray. He provides them with this promise as they pray. And then finally, he closes with paternity. He teaches us, helps us to relate to how to pray by thinking about parenting. You see verses 11 and 13? You remember? If a son asks for bread from his father, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then evil, sinful parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's teaching from the lesser to the greater there, isn't he? We as sinful parents know how to give good gifts to our kids. Most of us as parents pride ourselves in taking good care of our kids. A good dad, if his son asked him for a loaf of bread, no good dad would trick him and allow him to bite into a stone. A good loving mom, if her daughter asked her for a piece of fish, that mother would not deceive her daughter and allow her to be harmed by a snake. No good mom or dad, if the child was hungry and asked for an egg, would think it's funny and allow them to be stung by a scorpion. That's the point. Even we, as sinful as we are, moms and dads, even we know for the most part how to provide for our kids, most of us would probably err more on giving them too much. So how much more does does our God know what's best for us? And Jesus says he knows that our greatest need As followers of Christ, our greatest need, what does he say it is? He says our greatest need is the Holy Spirit. How much more will he not 
provide the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's our greatest need. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, the anointing of God's Spirit so that we would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of our lives. That's what Jesus told his disciples before he ascended back to the Father. You guys tarry. You guys stay here until you're empowered by the Spirit. So let me close. We as followers of Christ, Hillcrest Baptist Church, we're to always be in prayer without ceasing to persist, pouring out our longings and our desires to God. Hopefully those desires and longings are being birthed in us by the Holy Spirit. Which means we're praying for our spouses. Praying for our kids, our families, our grandkids. I was wondering as I was thinking about this this week, I wonder how Lois and Eunice were praying for Timothy, his mother and grandmother. Remember John, the mother of James and John going to Jesus, wanting to secure the best places in the kingdom for her two boys? They're grown men. The mother's advocating for these. Had to be embarrassing. They were both martyred. I wonder how the mother of James and John prayed for her sons. I wonder how the mother of the apostle Peter was praying for him. Praying about everything. I believe the effect of this text for you and for me should produce some confidence. Some confidence in prayer before God. What a wonderful promise. Answers will come. The lost will be found. Doors will be open. Leading to persistence. And I would propose to you that the things that we continually persist in prayer for are the things that measure what's really important to us. There's a recognition here of our great need for God and for the Spirit of God to control us and fill us. Many and I were talking this past week about God's goodness, about God's goodness. And she said, I've learned that God's goodness has very little to do with my circumstances. God's goodness towards me has very little to do with my circumstances. He's still good, even when we don't understand. Are you praying? You have confidence with God? that you can bring all of your needs and desires in life to him and that he hears you and he cares for you and he's provided great promises to you. So Brother Charlie, I used to pray. I used to be close to God and I communed, I talked to God, I listened to God, but to be honest, my prayer life has kind of faded out. And I don't have the intimacy with God that I used to. I don't have the closeness with God that I once had. I remember when, the, when our kids were little, all four of them, and I'd be gone most of the day. Mindy stayed at home. I think she was the one doing all the hard work, cooking and 
feeding and clothing, correcting over and over you. It's a lot of work. And I'd come home at the end of the day and they'd come through the back door and they'd hear me and man, they all for them. Here they'd come running, coming running to dad. Mr. Wonderful was home. And it exasperated many. And I got to tell you, I look forward to that at night. Abby come running. Andrew, Emily, Elizabeth, they come running and grab hold of me. And then they, it wasn't uncommon also for them to get into an argument and a fight because they were vying for my attention. I wonder how much God misses us. They're all grown now. Kids, they, I know they still love me and respect me. But I don't, it's probably good. They don't really need me the way they used to. I wonder if that's how God feels about us. They don't really need me like they used to. He's a personal God and he loves us. He wants us to come to him like little kids with faith. Almost done and Miss Anita to come. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. I don't know how God's speaking to you. But I got to believe that there's someone here this morning that needs to come and to kneel and say, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. To say, God, I repent. I confess that I've allowed some other things in my life to come between you and me. And this morning, God, I lay it down. And I want to be close with you again. And I understand that it starts with prayer. Let's pray together as we stand. Father, these closing moments, perhaps the most important time of this entire service, responding to the voice of your spirit as you speak and as you call us. So, Father, have your way. Have your way in us. There'll be no delayed obedience. Father, for that person this morning here who needs to come and say, Pastor Charlie, I want to accept Christ as my Savior, God, that today your spirit would woo and draw them unto yourself. And today, as they hear your voice, that today would be a day of salvation. However you lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.